Turn with me in the Holy Scriptures tonight to the 19th chapter of the Gospel according to John. John chapter 19. My text is made up of verses 19 through 22, and we'll read the first 22 verses together. The Word of God at John 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he hath made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from henceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him, and two other with him, 
on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And now beginning at verse 19 through verse 22, the text for this evening. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. There ends our reading of the word of God tonight. May the Lord add his blessing to our reading of the Holy Scriptures. Our text tells us that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, wrote and affixed to Jesus' cross a superscription. That superscription, the text informs us, read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. All four gospel accounts make reference to this superscription. In fact, all four gospel accounts inform us what the superscription was that Pilate affixed to Jesus' cross. But in each of the gospel accounts, the superscription is recorded differently. There are no two that are exactly the same. According to Matthew's account, the superscription read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Matthew 27, verse 37. Mark records the superscription as simply reading, The King of the Jews. Mark 15, verse 26. And Luke presents the superscription as this is the king of the Jews. Luke 23, verse 38. The higher critics of Holy Scripture have a heyday. The higher critics of Holy Scripture allege that the differences between the accounts of the superscription point to the fact that the scriptures are not infallible and inerrant. That, in fact, there are inconsistencies and errors in Holy Scripture. The four different accounts of the superscription being a clear indication of that fact. The fact that there are these differences 
among the superscriptions as recorded in the gospel accounts does not, however, in any way, shape, or form give credence to the higher critics' condemnation of Scripture as the infallible word of God. For in the first place, the doctrine of divine inspiration is not at all jeopardized by the differences in the gospel accounts of the superscription. Not all of them wrote down the full superscription. Each of the gospel writers took down that part of the superscription that fit his purpose, the purpose of his gospel account. Besides, we're told that the superscription was written in three different languages, in Greek, in Latin, and in Hebrew. Very likely, the differences between the accounts of the superscription have to do with the fact that the superscription was written in these three different languages. Slight differences between the account of the superscription in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. All of the superscriptions quote the essence, that which is the most important part of the superscription. What Mark captures in his account, the king of the Jews. All of the accounts have that in common, that they identify the one who is being crucified beneath this superscription as the king of the Jews. And then, we must also take into account the fact that Matthew addressed his gospel account particularly to the Jews, and that explains from the very first chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, the many references to fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, he undoubtedly would have focused on the superscription in Hebrew. Mark addressed his gospel account particularly to the Romans, the world power of the day. He would undoubtedly focus his attention on the superscription in Latin and Luke. Luke, who addressed the Greeks, the nation that had been the world power, that the Romans had conquered, Greek 
that was still the language spoken throughout the empire. Luke focused on the Greek superscription. And John, the one who wrote both to Jew and to Gentile, the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The fact that Pilate wrote the superscription and had it placed above Jesus' head on the cross also helps us to identify the kind of cross that Jesus was crucified on. There were three different types of crosses that were used throughout the empire at this time for the worst of criminals. There was the cross that had the shape of a capital X, a capital X, with the cross pieces intersecting in the middle. There was also the cross that was in the shape of a capital T, a capital T, with the vertical cross piece butted up against the horizontal cross piece. And there was the cross that had the shape of a lowercase t, the cross, undoubtedly, that Jesus was crucified on. For of the three, this was the only cross that had a piece above the one being crucified on which a superscription could have been affixed. That superscription I call your attention to tonight, the superscription of the cross. Let's notice three things together. First of all, that it indicated a wicked rejection. Secondly, that it expressed a glorious reality. And thirdly, that it pointed to a universal kingship. Jesus is the king. That's the declaration of the superscription. But he is a king on a cross. How contradictory, how perplexing. A king, but a crucified king. He was a king rejected. He was rejected, first of all, by Pontius Pilate. Pilate told the Roman soldiers to affix the superscription. He wrote the superscription and directed its being affixed to Jesus' cross. Certainly, in the superscription, Pilate made known his own personal rejection of Jesus, the King of the Jews. He intended his superscription to be a mockery of the Jews, scorn 
of the Jews. He despised the Jews. He was filled with hatred for the Jews. A perpetual thorn in the side of the Roman emperor and of the governor Pontius Pilate. They were a proud people, an arrogant people, a people who were resentful of Roman domination and of everything Roman. They looked for a day when they would be able to throw off the oppressor, when they would be done with submission to Caesar and to Caesar's governor. And now Pilate, in that superscription, gathers all the scorn that he possibly can. You wanted a king? You despise the kingship of the Roman Caesar? This is the one you would have as your king? Here he is, a helpless victim, a king rejected, a crucified king. Jesus, the King of the Jews. In his writing of the superscription, Pilate was undoubtedly motivated by spite. He loathed the Jews. The Jews had forced his hand. They had painted him into a corner, if you will. They had put him in the position of choosing between the lesser of two evils. And he resented them for their manipulation of him. Now he would take his revenge. In that superscription, mocking them. This is your king. He is a king on a cross. All through Jesus' trial, they had rejected Jesus' claim to being their king. When Pilate had finally brought him forth, the Jews had to hear from Pilate's lips, Behold your king! They resented it, and their response had been, Away with him! Away with him. We have no king but Caesar. Knowing their resentment of Jesus, Pilate now deliberately spites them in the superscription that he orders to be nailed over Jesus' head. Deliberately, he gets his revenge on them. There's something striking in that. There's a truth there that we ought not to miss about sin and about the sinner. Both Pilate and the Jews hated and rejected Jesus Christ. In that, they were united. But it was also the case that Pilate and the Jews hated each other. Hated each other. 
The one thing they had in common was their hatred of Christ. In that they could be united. But in everything else, they were at odds with each other. Hated one another. That's the way it is with the sinner who is concerned only with himself, only with his own glory, the satisfaction of his own lusts, the doing of his own will. We see that here, and we will see that again in the future. When unbelieving and wicked men will unite in their rejection of the cause of Christ in the world, the church of Christ, the people of Christ, in the end of Christ, and in his kingdom. But even that kingdom will break up of itself will be in the process of being broken up when the Lord comes again on the clouds of glory. They who hate God must also hate each other. But the superscription was not only Pilate's spite for the Jews, The superscription represents his rejection of Christ, the one who hung beneath that superscription. Pilate had condemned him. Pilate had condemned him to death. Pilate had at length conceded to the Jews the right to crucify Jesus In delivering him up, Pilate had condemned Jesus, and Pilate had rejected Jesus. And the superscription was also a testimony to that fact. What's important to remember is that the superscription was an announcement that proclaimed the guilt of the one who was being crucified. The superscription explained what his crime was, on account of which this most extreme form of execution was being worked out. This was the charge against him. The superscription wasn't just a writing that identified the one who was being crucified. It proclaimed his guilt, the law that he had broken. To all the world, There was a public declaration of the reason on account of which he was being crucified. That's why both in Matthew and in Mark, 
the superscription is referred to as an accusation. In Matthew 27, verse 37, we read, And set up over his head his accusation written. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Mark says basically the same thing. In Mark 15, verse 26, And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. That makes Jesus' superscription altogether significant. That makes Jesus' superscription revelatory of a fundamental truth concerning the Christ who was being crucified. For not only does it reveal Pilate's personal rejection of Christ, but it also indicates the truth that the trial of Jesus had underscored over and over again at every important juncture and before everyone before whom Jesus was tried, that there was no accusation against him. There was no charge of sin that was true and could be substantiated. No explanation as to his guilt. The superscription wasn't Jesus of Nazareth, the murderer. It wasn't. Jesus of Nazareth, the revolutionary. It wasn't. Jesus of Nazareth, the thief. But it was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. By that superscription, Altogether apart from indicating his own personal resentment of Jesus, Pilate's superscription proclaimed to all the world and for all time that the Jesus who was being crucified did not deserve to be crucified. There was no crime that he had committed, no sin that he was guilty of. All unwittingly, Pilate proclaimed before all the world the perfect innocence of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. That's important. 
not only does the wickedness of Pilate come out, the wickedness of the Jews who provoked Pilate to condemn Jesus to crucifixion, but comes out God's will in that superscription. God's declaration before the world of that day and before the world for all time that Jesus is put to death innocently. We need to know that. That's a fundamental truth with regard to Jesus' death that we must know. That's the reason on account of which over and over again before everyone before whom Jesus was tried, Annas, Caiaphas, King Herod, his perfect innocence must be brought out. And why now finally Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, must proclaim Jesus worthy of death, although He had done nothing to deserve death. We must know that he died innocently. To be sure, that underscores the guilt of the world in their rejection of him, their persecution of him, their putting of him to death. But the truth of that superscription is for our sakes, your sake, and my sake. For only if he is put to death innocently, only if it is the case that there is no accusation that can be brought against him, can you know and can I know that he died for me, even for me? If he is himself, a sinner. He deserves to die. And the benefit of his death cannot be yours and cannot be mine. He must die for his own sin and for the guilt of his own sin. Only if he dies innocently, 
condemned to death without a cause, could his death avail for you and for me? Only then could his death be of value. Now and eternally for us. The superscription speaks loudly of his rejection, not only by Pilate, but also by the Jews. He is their king, but he is their king on a cross. Pilate had condemned him. They had brought him to Pilate in order to gain his condemnation. And they had finally attained that. They had frustrated every attempt of Pontius Pilate to release Jesus until finally they had preferred Barabbas to Jesus. Very clearly, they showed their hatred, their rejection of Jesus. Also, their rejection was a wicked rejection. For the superscription not only demonstrated that before the world of that day, the empire of that day, the authorities of that day, there was no fault found in him. But it also declared that the Jews had not brought a single legitimate accusation against Jesus. They knew his innocence. Knowing his innocence, they nonetheless sought his condemnation. And in that, they revealed their hatred of Jesus. That hatred is also what motivates them to attempt to get Pilate to change the superscription. Verses 21 and 22 of the text. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Instead of the title, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, the Jews wanted the superscription, Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the King of the Jews, who said that he was the King of the Jews. And of course, what the leaders of the Jews intended by their proposed substitute 
superscription was their denial that Jesus was indeed king of the Jews. The very fact that they attempted that change in the superscription revealed their rejection of him as their king. The very fact that they had pleaded for his condemnation, pleaded for his execution, pleaded for crucifixion, showed their hatred of him. And in so doing, the rejection of Jesus was complete. Not only did Pilate reject him, the leader of the world power of that day, representative of Rome in that day, but in that rejection of him by Pilate, the Jews joined hand. They rejected him also. They rejected him as king. We have no king but Caesar. And so come together both the wicked world and the false church. Pilate represents the world power and the Jews represent the church of that day. But the church of that day that was thoroughly corrupt, altogether apostate, the church that had become the false church. Jew and Gentile, church and world, join in their rejection of the Christ. That rejection by church and world, will find its climax in Antichrist and in the power and kingdom of the coming Antichrist. Nonetheless, that superscription proclaims the blessed reality. He is the king. This is not a contradiction. This is not a perplexing problem that he is a king on a cross. It is exactly because he is king, the kind of king that he is, the nature of his kingdom, that he is king on a cross. For in the fact that he is the king on a cross, he shows himself to be God's king, the king of the people of God. The superscription did declare before all the world 
the truth of the matter not only, but it declared the accusation written against him. For the fact is that it is because he is the king that he is on that cross. And it is the cross, the saving work that Jesus accomplishes on that cross that demonstrates that he is the king. The superscription is God's own declaration of the kingship of Jesus. Of him, the Old Testament had prophesied again and again and again. Prophesied of the ruler who would come out of Bethlehem, the son of David, who would establish David's throne and David's kingdom forevermore. The one out of whose hand the scepter would never depart. As Israel's king, he had been born in Bethlehem, David's city, out of David's own loins. Of him, the angel had said to his mother Mary, before he was ever born, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. By right, by birth, by appointment of God himself, Jesus is the king. And that explains the cross. That's why he is on the cross. Because he is the king. That's why he endures the agony of that cross. Which is not after all the pain of nails driven through his hands and feet. Not his being suspended on that cross. A public spectacle before all the world. Not the slow agonizing death of one who is crucified. But why on that cross he endures the infinite wrath of God against the guilt of your sin and my sin because he is the king. Because he is the king, he must be crucified. Because he is the king, He must defeat our enemies, our real and our spiritual enemies. Our real enemy is not the apostate church. It's hatred of us and persecution of us. Our real enemy is not the state. 
the state that raises itself up as God, demanding for itself the worship of God that shall culminate in the anti-Christian state and world power. But our real and spiritual enemy is death and hell, Satan, and his hosts, the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sins. Don't you see? On the cross, he is doing the work of the king. It's because he is the king that he is nailed to that cross. Because he is the king. On that cross, he goes to war against our real and spiritual enemies and triumphs over them gloriously. His cross is victory, is the victory of the king, the victory of the king against every one of your and my enemies. In his cross, his kingdom is established, can only be established in his blood and in his death. The kingdom could not be established in any other way. The righteousness of God demands this. Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews, the real and spiritual Jews, Jesus, king of the Jews. It is the accusation written against him, and it is a glorious reality. Finally, in that superscription, the universal kingship of Jesus is also prophesied. First of all, the superscription makes plain that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Obviously, it is not God's intent that Christ should be the king of the Jews nationally and politically, if that was the case, he was a failure, an utter, a dismal failure. But Jesus is the king over the true and spiritual Jews. The true seed of Abraham, 
the genuine children of God. They are believers. The spiritual seed of the great king, believers. Believers in every nation, tongue and tribe. Jews, but spiritual Jews. For them he dies, on their behalf he lays down his life. In the second place, just for that reason, the Jews over whom Jesus is the king are the people of God gathered out of every nation, tongue and tribe, under heaven. And that, too, is the significance of the superscription in the different languages. In Greek, in Latin, and in Hebrew. Every major people group of that day is mentioned is included. The languages of the Gentiles, Greek and Latin, and of Jews, Hebrew. He is the king, and his kingdom is a universal kingdom gathered out of every nation, tongue and tribe under heaven. And the very fact that the superscription is in the different languages points to the universality of his kingdom. Thirdly, the universality of his kingdom is also seen in this, that he rules over the enemies. So great is this king that the enemies, his enemies, are the instruments in his hand to accomplish his own will. What a king is this king. He's ruling over all the enemies. Judas, the Jews, Annas and Caiaphas, Pontius Pilate, the mob, their only puppets in his hand to do his will in the establishment of his everlasting kingdom. That's the comfort of the superscription. In time and in history, his universal rule is not always evident. And in our own lives, personally, it often seems not to be the case. The king does not seem always to be reigning. The king does not always seem 
to be using my enemies and your enemies as the instruments in his hand. But with the eye of faith. Only with the eye of faith do we see and understand and believe that in time and in history, this king is reigning. This king is accomplishing all his will. This king is ruling so that everything and everyone is subservient unto him. And one day, whether willingly or in spite of themselves, everyone will acknowledge that he is the king. That will be the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of all. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for the reign of our Savior, for his kingship, his rule even over our enemies who are made subservient to our good. We thank thee for his defeat of sin and Satan, the devil and death, and for our hope of everlasting life in him. Dismiss us with thy blessing. Forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.